This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Our scripture this morning is from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Before designing the iPhone 5, we studied how customers use their iPhones and we discovered something pretty interesting. People only use iPhones to take photos of their food. They're sad and alone, so they use pictures of food to create the illusion of a fulfilling life. With that knowledge, we went back to the drawing board, introducing the iPhone 5. We rethought everything, from big stuff like screen resolution to small details like the size of the screws and the inclusion of a 50mm macro lens. These pictures look so good that nobody would ever imagine you lie awake at night wondering why you can't feel happiness. And with a maximum ISO of 6400, the iPhone 5 takes stunning photos in whatever dimly lit, exposed brick, no reservation, basement restaurant your friends care about more than each other. Siri's all new too. She can recognize the food you photographed and suggest fun captions that'll imply a life worth living. Chickpea salad. Nom nom nom. I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. The iPhone 5 is a game changer. Its photos are sure to garner all the likes, hearts, pluses, pins, stars, reposts, reblogs, retumbles, and retweets that you've used to replace human connection in your life. I've been using the iPhone 5 for a few months now, and it's already turned my life into a seemingly enjoyable life. Last weekend, I was having brunch with my girlfriend, but we had nothing to talk about, so I took out my iPhone 5, I snapped a pic of my eggs Benedict, connected my iPhone to my MacBook, found a Wi-Fi hotspot, uploaded that photo onto Facebook, and within minutes, I had friends telling me how much fun I was having. And you know, for one brief moment, I almost believed in myself. The iPhone 5. Picture your life better. I understand that's just coming out, what, in the next week or two? That's pretty exciting, huh? I mean, our lives are going to be pretty fulfilling. My name is uh, Tyler Shaw, and I'm... Uh, pastor of worship here at Community Coming Church, and uh, we're in a series, this is our third week actually, called Life Together, and recognizing that there is a communal aspect of just our faith, and uh, that we're all drawn to community, and even in this, you know, kind of uh, spoof here, there's a recognition that we desire community, and somehow with all the advances in technology and Facebook and Twitter and stuff, are we really connecting at a deeper level? I've, I've been experiencing, I'm just going to be up front, I've been experiencing a lot of angst 
about this idea of the church being an expression of community. And um, part of it is comes out of my own experience, which I want to tell you just a little bit about it in just a moment. But also as I look around me, that the reality is is our, wor- our world's very broken. The story of humanity and being created to be in relationship with God and then uh, right from the very get-go as you look at Genesis chapter 3 and, and sin enters the world through our choices, humanity's choices, you begin to see a breakdown. A breakdown in terms of our ability to understand ourselves and a breakdown in our relationships. And that continues to this day. So we still have within us the desire to connect, the desire to be a part of community. And yet, uh, for so many of us, there's been disillusionment, there's been heartache. And, um, and so, for example, just, I mean, one of the institutions of relationship, one of the most sacred is marriage. And I had a, a relative get married this summer, and initially they said that they, they weren't going to have any kind of a ceremony or any kind of, because after all, it's meaningless. A piece of paper is meaningless. So the sense they get from our culture is that our marriage relationship is something when it doesn't work out, you can just throw it away. And their feeling was we can commit just as well as anybody else without having a ceremony and without having a piece of paper that tells us that we're married. And in the same way in, in, in church community, and this is where I have angst because as I talk to people, I know that a lot of us have had experiences that leave us disillusioned with what we think church ought to be. That passage that Ralph read, the Acts 2, 42 through 47, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of community that, that maybe both excites and is a little scary. You know what I'm saying? And if you're not familiar with the context, what happened just before that is that Pentecost happened. So the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ said would be poured out had been poured out. And Peter preaches a sermon to all these uh, Jews who were very familiar with Judaism and the theology of that. And so they were close to maybe perhaps to a lot of uh, the theology about who God is and, and the fact that He created the world and that He created community and stuff. And He preached a sermon. And in the sermon, you know what He told them? You killed Jesus. But He came to die for you. And so people started responding. And in their responding, they realized that this changed everything for them. That Jesus teaching about what community meant and what our world meant and how we orient ourselves to it had been turned completely upside down. And so the very first they devoted themselves. I mean, they were committed. Their experience of community was, you know, how sometimes it's like it's like a a new relationship, you know, with somebody like, wow, this is the one, you know, if you remember that time in your life or maybe it's happening to you now and. It's like, wow, this person is perfect, you know? I mean, they had this great experience. Now, if you read a little farther in Acts, you realize they had problems right away, too. That as long as there's been church, there has been problems. But in this context, in this short context, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it referred to as a model. This is how we want our church to be. You know, we share, we have everything in common. People are devoted day after day. We meet together. I mean, doesn't that sound wonderful? And, and maybe it does, or maybe it sounds a little scary. 
this is my angst as I run into people and 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 I ask them and I, I get a sense that they what they feel about church and and I want to ask them well what do you think church is and I ask that it's just rhetorically this morning what if somebody's to say hey what is church to you what do you what do you understand that to be if we're called to life together if I'm called to that what it, what should church be I grew up in a, in a family where very committed to to church. Um, it was a conservative. We went, to, I think, primarily to a conservative Baptist when I was really young, and then we we started attending a, a Salem Alliance, a Christian Missionary Alliance church a little later in life. So when I was young, we went to church every week, three times a week: Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Right? We were there. And back then, children, there was a Sunday school, you know, like between the services in the morning. But in the Sunday evening service, you had to sit and listen to people like me just talk. You know, so if you're, you know, I'm five years old. And you know, it was good, but here was the real bummer for me. It was right during Disneyland. You know, the wonderful world of Disney was on at that hour. So once in a while, once in a while, not very often, not nearly as often. In the afternoon, sometimes we'd, please... And, but once in a while, we would stay home from church. We would eat Fruit Loops and watch Disneyland. I mean, that was that was living. I love that. And then we would go to church on Wednesday nights. But I grew up with this idea that uh, that that as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, that I had. I mean, I I needed to be connected with the church. That it, that being a follower of Jesus Christ, we went to church. That's what we did. And then somewhere around high school, somewhere, my dad is is a bit eccentric. He's very much uh, a loner, and I started noticing a pattern uh, where he started missing more and more, and just not going, or he'd only go for part of it. Now I wish I wish that I had, would have had a conversation with my dad and tried to find out why that was the case, because what I remember feeling is like like something about my faith was being shaken up a little bit. Like I thought, if you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that you, man, you go to church, you're committed. You know, I I have continued. I've, church has always been a part of my life. Part of it is, is most of my adult life, I have been paid by a church. So I I think I'm pretty sure if I stop showing up here on Sunday. I stop having a job here. Just so you, I mean, that's just the reality. And when I think about other people, and I, you know, and 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 their different levels of com- commitment to what their idea of church is, I wonder. I ask myself, what would what would it be like for me if I wasn't on staff? How would I experience church then? How would I plug into that? One of the little churches. I mean, you know, one of the things that happens with churches, you. You know, because you move or things change, and you change churches. And uh, I remember one time being really uncomfortable with a pastor that we had because I felt like his messages he taught out of the Bible, but I felt like he decided to make up kind of his own points that you kind of maybe see in the text, but that's not really what the text was talking about. It was like that. It just seemed it didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. And, and I sat down and I had a conversation with him, and, and we ended up moving out of, out of the state. And so 
that became easier. And, and then I, my wife and I attended a real small church. Uh, this is probably 18 years ago. We, we attended a really small church. And we, we wanted to be involved, and, and they had no youth program at all. So we said, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll help out with the youth. We'll, we'll help out. We'll kind of, you know. And the pastor called us into his, in his office. And we, I, I don't remember all the discussion, but I know we talked a little bit. And he said, uh, now, I don't know if anybody's been talking to you about, uh, you know, this whole discussion of whether or not to call me pastor. See, apparently the church had been... Uh, because the church has a long history of not having a senior pastor, and they invited that pastor come to do the things that the elder is called to do, if you look at Scripture. So they were going to pay him, but they didn't want there to be a sense in that church. They were very organic. They didn't want there to be a sense of this elevated person that somehow does everything that nobody else can do, right? And so there, was a, there had been a discussion, apparently, in the church about whether to call a pastor the pastor. The pastor thought it's a good thing. You know, sometimes pastors think... if. If, if, if you know that I'm a pastor, it might give me access into your life, some confidence that, that I've had some training or experience that I might be able to be helpful, right? So I understand the debate, but this is what was interesting to me. So he was concerned that maybe we had been caught up in the gossip about how important it was to him. To, and he wanted to assure us it's not a big deal. And I said, I hadn't really heard that, and I'm glad it's not a big deal. But then he said, but as long as we're on the topic, let me make it clear. I want to be referred to as pastor. Yeah, that was my reaction, too. I thought, wow. You see, and, and so what happens when we engage in church is uh, we run into people. Have you ever noticed that? I listened to a, a missionary share one time, and he, you know, he, he was a passionate guy, and he he had gone overseas and he was so excited. And when he first got there, there was just all these problems. These problems. And, and re- it was really funny in his testimony because he kept saying, he goes, I knew I could be a good missionary too if it wasn't for those people. <laughs> See, maybe you feel a little bit like that sometimes as we read Acts 2. And you see a beautiful picture of community, and that something in your heart longs for that, and yet our experience is just the reality of who people are. One of the things I hope to encourage us to do today is to be reminded of what Jesus said the church was, and allow that vision to propel us, to help us engage, and not allow are just our feelings or the world around dictate what church is. So this idea of community, where did that come from? Well, when Neil did the welcome this morning, he talked about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is a book I picked up a long time ago. I, it's been a long time since I read it. My recollection is, is I thought some of the theology was suspect. But I do want to read the part about the community within the Trinity, okay, for us to capture a vision of this. That God is, is wanting to give something to us that's very good and beautiful. It says this, What the doctrine of the Trinity is telling us is that God is fundamentally a relational being. When we recite the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and affirm that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, we are saying that there has never been a moment 
in all eternity when God was alone. There has never been a moment in all eternity when God is alone. Orthodox Christianity teaches there's one God, in essence one, but three persons. And you can see that expression throughout Scripture and as it gets unfolded, particularly in the New Testament. But as you study, you see that in the major things that happen in the Bible, whether it's creation, whether it's redemption, whether it's the end of all things, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in concert, revealing who they are. God has never been alone. We are saying that God has always been Father, Son, and Spirit. We are saying that there was never a time when the Father was not Father, when the Son and the Spirit were not there. And there was just God, so to speak, some abstract divinity. God has always existed in relationship. Fellowship, camaraderie, togetherness, communication have always been the center of the very being of God, and it always will be. It is critical that we see this. And it is just as critical that we see that the shared life of Father, Son, and Spirit is not one of sorrow and loneliness and emptiness. The Father, Son, and Spirit live in conversation, in a fellowship of free-flowing togetherness and sharing in delight, a great dance of shared life that is full and rich and passionate, creative and good and beautiful. The thing our heart longs for. So this, this guy called his, his book The Great Dance using that as a metaphor that the Trinity is in this great, beautiful dance, invites us to be a part of it. I want to read just a tiny bit more. This Father, Son, and Spirit create to share what they have with us. The goal of the Trinity is inclusion. The purpose of the Father, Son, and Spirit in creation is to draw us within the circle of their shared life so that we get to experience it too with them. I hope that feels different than just religion to you. That there's something that's beautiful happening within the Trinity that He wishes, that God wishes to extend to us through Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful vision of what life is meant to be within the Trinity. So, naturally, God is a little bit upset when things go in the toilet and it destroys who we are and who He made us to be. You see, this is why God gets angry at sin. It destroys the life He intended you and I to have. So, in our community, if I look at the faith community, I just want to kind of tie this together a little bit with a couple of things that Jesus said. Is our common experience. We have a common experience in Christ. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I mean, that's an amazing statement for Jesus to make. The one who has been in eternal community with His Father, who shares something that is just amazing. And in the same way that I experience love for my Father, I am loving you. We have this experience in common. This is what unites us. It's the love of Jesus Christ. There it is. Common identity as children of God. In 1 John 12, uh, 
John 1, 12 and 13, and I'm not going to look it up, but basically is that to as many as received him, they have become children of God. We have become children of God. Not born of natural sin, but born of God. It was God's choice to make us as children. John Ortberg has just written a new book. I want to recommend it. It's a really good book. It's called Who Was This Man? It's looking at how Jesus Christ has changed the world. And how much Western civilization, what we experience today, is a result of Jesus and His vision. And one of the things that Jesus was perhaps the very first person, not perhaps, I think He was the very first person, not that other people haven't tried to do this too, but Jesus was the one who was able to unite humanity once again. You see, the history of humanity is about groups subjugating other groups. In the first century, women had no rights. Children had no rights. Slaves were property. And in Jesus, there is now no Greek, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or women. That we all can come together and find this identity as image bearers of the God who has lived in eternity past, who lives in community, and it invites us into that. We have this common identity. We have a common purpose. So Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Do you realize that we collectively now, we collectively continue the ministry of good news of Jesus? When Jesus started His, his ministry, He said, Hey, guess what? You can turn your life around now. I have good news. I have good news about what God is like. And what He's prepared to do for you. And that's essentially what we do, collectively. Hey, we have good news. I don't know if I listed the Scripture up there, but I wanted to uh, read this from 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter says it this way, You are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. You know what a priest does? A priest is a go-between between God and people. We, we collectively, are, are priests. And what we do is we go between God and each other and the world around us. And so we remind, uh, we remind people what God is like. And we allow people to bring us into God's presence. I mean, the words in, in uh, God's Word for how Jesus sees His church and how Jesus' followers, His apostles, sees the church are mind-boggling. So I'm going to look, uh, and I apologize that I don't have this prepared to put up on the screen, but I want to look at Romans real quick. Romans uh, chapter 12. And I want to use this to talk a little bit about a few images that we find in the Scripture to describe the church. Okay? So I'm in Romans chapter 12. Now you need to know this about Romans. Romans is considered by some people as the Apostle Paul. His theology book. I mean, he teaches theology and all of it, but in Romans, he really lays it out. So he starts in chapter 1 and basically says, All of humanity has turned their back on God. 
And so he lays out what Jesus Christ did for us. That through faith now, through believing in Jesus, there is a way to be right with God that all people everywhere can enter into. So that now in verse chapter 8, he says, There is now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Because what our performance and laws were, were complete failures at doing it. That means bringing us in a relationship with God, Jesus Christ did for us. And so he lays us out what God has done because of his love for us and how completely he has saved us. And he does this for 11 chapters. It's 11 chapters of theology. And in the last few chapters of Romans, it's all about, so then how shall we live? Here's the theology. Now, how do we put that theology in practice? And ultimately what it translates is, now because God has loved us, we ought to love one another. God has shown us what love is. And so the way that we love one another, the way that we live in relationship, is now the gospel, the story of Jesus and his power on display for the world around. And I, I think, and, and I'm not getting this out of a commentary, so maybe I'll take this with a grain of salt, but I think it hinges a little bit on the first couple of verses. That he's making a transition in, in Romans 1, uh, or 12, 1 and 2. And he says this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and that's a plural in, in the original language. So, in view of God, the magnitude of what God has done, all the mercies he's poured out, because of all this, what should our response be? In view of God's mercies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I'm going to talk more about that in a second. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now he's starting to go into behavior. Don't think of yourself. Don't put yourself above somebody else. A little later, he's going to be talking about how some people think that they're strong and some people are weak and there's judgment going on between what people are doing. He says, hey, don't think of yourself. Don't put yourself above others. Either in judging them or thinking that you're better looking up or looking down. Just as, verse 4 now, just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each belongs to all the others. I don't know if that scares you, but that scares me. I'll tell you why it scares me. I'm actually, by nature, a fairly introverted person. I love going on walks all by myself. In fact, I was going to, I, I was going to go for a walk. I said, I'm going for a walk, and my wife said... Do you want company? Let me come with you. And I said, yeah, I'd love that. I mean, I'm, I'm good either way. I can go walk by myself. And, or I, I'd love to walk with you too. And she goes, why don't you just go by yourself? See, she was convinced that I would rather walk by myself because she knows me. That's not true. I, I love walking with my wife too. But she knows me. I, I noticed something a few years ago that was not healthy. And that is, my family would leave for a couple of days. They had the opportunity to leave town and I would like, without even really thinking about it, choose to be all by myself. To the point that it was unhealthy for me. I would choose to not enter into community of some form or fashion. 
I would disengage. So when this goes so far as to say that, in fact, I had thought about, I knew this would freak people out, right? I thought about having to stand up and point and look at each other. Right? Look to somebody you don't know and say, I belong to you and you belong to me. See? See, this is how Jesus Christ sees his church. But we're one body. There's a few images in the Bible. <clears throat> one of the images is, is it talks about the church being the bride of Christ. And I have a couple of scriptures listed there. But what's the implication of that? Well, one is that there's just one of us. Collectively, just one. Our culture is so into individualistic expression and identity. Individualistic expression and identity. That is not the biblical way. And in fact, the, one of the ways I gain my identity is by entering into community and allowing the community to inform me on who I am. Have you ever spent time with people who have been too much alone? I have. I mean, I have some people in my I love them dearly. They're great people. They're a little weird. They, you know, in one shape or fashion, they've spent too much time alone. I need you to tell me who I am in Christ and help me in the places where I'm not strong. And I need you so that I can give what God has given me to be a minister to you. You see, we belong to each other. Part of the reason that that is scary is because that idea has, of community has been abused in the past. That community means loss of identity. That community means that whatever I have is taken from me, not freely offered. I recognize that. I, I don't feel like we have time to get in all that. I don't even understand all that, but I believe it's true. I mean, does that sound true to you? But somehow, in community, I, I find out who I am. And I find out what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to do. Uh, oh, Bride of Christ. I got ahead of myself there a little bit. Bride of Christ, we're collective. This morning, I got uh, an email from, or a text message from uh, a worship pastor at another church here in town. He and I have been getting together. And the last time we got together, the three of us got together from here in town. I tell you what, by God's grace, I've had experiences like that in other communities where there was a sense of camaraderie amongst the churches. You've maybe heard me say before, uh, Christ is coming back for a bride, not a harem, right? And yet we can act haremish, like we're in competition with churches. But anyway, he texted me. He said, hey, I'm praying for you guys. And I knew he had texted me and he had texted the other guy at another church. And I texted him back and said, I'm, I'm praying that, that we have twice as many people. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, and, and this imagery of the, of the bride of Christ and the next one here, too. Uh, oh, I actually have my points up here, so I don't have to remember off the top of my head. It's the thing of beauty. That what God intends for us collectively is that collectively we are a thing of beauty. A bride prepares herself. There's, and even in you know, today's tradition, there's that, that moment when the bride enters, you know, and everybody lays eyes in the first time, and, and it's incredibly beautiful, 
But she veils her face because the, the, you know, there's anticipation of even more as she unveils. And, and that this is the imagery that God chooses to use of us collectively. Collectively, community-wide, but collectively at the local church, too. Scripture's written to local churches, the expression. It implies incredible joy and intimacy. Now, we could talk about this till we're all blushing, okay? But the, the, there's something that our heart longs for that maybe feels a little scary, but that God, He sees us collectively as the bride of, of Jesus Christ. And the Bible talks about the, the wedding feast and the wedding celebration when we're united. And that, that, that's something that we look forward to. Body of Christ is another image that's just picked up in this right here. Together we make up the whole. There's one body. Only one. And uh, other implications. Each part is inextricably connected to the others. No part operates independent. We're all connected and we're all unique. I think that's my last point. Each part is unique. It has a significant contribution. The fact, what I mean, that... <clears throat> That scripture there, where it says um, that each... Well, I better just read it, because I'm not going to get it right. This is verse 5. Or, yeah. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. What implication... This is one of my fears and angst, because when... When in the past, when people have tried to codify, you know, this is what it looks like if you're really committed as a Christian, as a, as a God follower. And, and we get things like uh, Pharisees and the Dark Ages and the Crusade. You know what I'm saying? So please hear me when I am not, I'm not trying to point at any one activity and saying, but what I am asking the question is this idea of belonging one to one another. What does that say? about how we order the time in our lives, our resources in our life, when we choose to come together, to gather at whatever forum, or we choose to step back. Does it have an implication for that? If I choose to separate myself and not engage, does that mean that I'm missing something? Because I need you, you belong to me? And perhaps you're missing something because I chose to stay away. The imagery in the Bible is that the church is a whole. One of the things we talk about church, so I ask people, you know, church. The word is ecclesia. You know what it means? Gathering. It's, it's used 114 times, that word is, in, in the New Testament. It just means gathering. We assemble. So can you see that there's a disconnect with somebody when I'm talking to them about spiritual things and they say, well, I go to church in the mountains by myself. Really? You and who with who? Because it's a, it's a gathering. It's assembly. It's something about our lives coming together. I was talking to a guy one time. This was many years ago. He was actually my landlord at the, at the time. And he was trying to get me involved in a multi-level marketing. I'm sure that's never happened to anybody here. But he was trying to get me involved in a multi-level marketing thing. And as part of it, because he knew I was a Christian, I was working in a church, and this would be a great way for a pastor to, to, to make money. Anyway, 
he, there was a spiritual side of it. And so I started to explore spiritual things with him because he kept talking about his church and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, now, what church do you go to? Oh, I go to church in my home. Oh, you see, that, that disconnects from me. In the Bible, when you read like through Revelation and you, and you read to the church in um, Galatia, to the church in Laodicea, to the church here, that is the, to the gathering, Paul is writing to the community, to the community of faith. We have been so steeped in our individualism that we're really, I'm really blind to this, me. And I, and I feel like through the fog, there's something really beautiful out there that I'm constantly tempted, constantly tempted to say it's too much work. It's too much whatever. That, the, the passage, I want to go back. Uh, the passage there that said, do not conform. Let me see if I have that. Yes. There. Everybody knows that. See, this is what churches do. They eat that right after the service. No. <laughs> the, the passage, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Do you know that our culture is pressing against us all the time, according to that passage? That we're getting pressed in the ways of seeing ourselves, to seeing our lives and how we order our time, how we order our, our priorities. Don't conform. Don't be a jello and just conform to how the culture around us wants to define you and me and everybody. But, you know, what is the implication for the fact that, that church isn't just about fellowship? Church is not just about that I have better relationships. Church is not just about having a better spiritual experience. Church is the bride of Christ. Church is a gathering of priests who have been called out to declare the beauty of our God to a world that doesn't know Him. I'm... I'm I don't know about you, but I feel pressed. I want to encourage us, encourage us to consider how you think about church. We at Community Covenant Church, the staff, we have a responsibility to lead in a way that reflects the truth of God, what God has revealed in His Word. That, that lead in a way that shows a sensitivity to what the Spirit is doing in us collectively. We make mistakes. We need your grace. We need you to inform us when we step over. You need that. We need to gather together as they did in Acts 2:42 through 47. We need to gather to be devoted to God's word together, to gain a sense of who we are together. And not allow our time our resources, our relationships, our priorities, our career, whatever it is, ultimately dictate how we find expression as the body of Jesus Christ.
I'm going to end with one quick last illustration, and we're going to take communion together. A few years back, I visited uh, Missionary Baptist Church right down here. You guys know there's a church over there? It's just over the hill. I was not leading worship that day, and we had cooperated with them a couple times. It's predominantly a uh, African-American church. We had cooperated on some stuff, and, and we were working really hard to be the bride of Christ, to, to, to do, you know, together. And I walked in, and uh, I did what I c- can do sometimes, which is uh, uh, I sat in the back row. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody who's sitting in the back row, okay? Oh, there you go. Yeah, celebrate Brack Ronos. But, but honestly, th- it, was, it was a way for me, and a part of it was, because I, I wasn't sure if I was going to s- to slip out, but honestly, in a lot of settings, if I come in, it's, it's a little way for me to just kind of distance myself just slightly. And to, I like to see what's going on and all that kind of stuff. But I sat in the back row. Their culture there is completely different, okay? Here we wear jeans sometimes. Like, I don't know, I guess that's, I don't know why. Some, some churches, they advertise the fact that they wear jeans. Like, that's a big deal. I don't know. Uh, there, they wear pinstripe stripe suits. Right? Here, our ushers, you know, wear jeans like the rest. There, their ushers wear white gloves. So one of their ushers came up and they said, you know, would you like to fill out one of our cards? And I said, would you like to move up? No, I'm fine. I'm a back row guy, you know. I feel I filled out the card and I felt like it wasn't really honest for me to be completely clandestine. So I put in there that, that uh, I was a pastor over here. And I handed it back. Well, they, you know, they walked off, and they took it with their white gloves. They walked off. They're dressed to the nines over there, right? And, and it came back a couple of later because somebody had read the car. It's like, oh, would you like to come and, and meet Reverend Green? Because I'm a pastor. In their culture, they honor pastors big time. In a, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> they honor pastors big time over there, right? So it was like, hey, would you like to come and meet Reverend Green, who was their lead pastor and... And I said, oh, I've, I've met Reverend Green before. It's okay. I might have to slip out. Or I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm putting the brakes on as hard as I can. And I assure them I don't need to go forward. I don't need to sit on the stage. I don't need to, I don't, I just, I'm a back rope, okay? The service starts. And Gracie Jackson, who's, I think, yeah, Gracie Jackson, who some of you know, she got up and they started their service and she goes, well, she was leaning like this. We have a very special guest with us here today. <laughs> and so, so I go, ah, oh, okay. And uh, I thought they just wanted me to stand up and wave. So I start to get up, and it's like, <clears throat> would the Reverend Tyler Shaw, would you like to come on up here? I'm like, See, at that moment, I had a choice. I had a choice in that moment. I realized they are honoring me, inviting me in to their expression of the body of Christ. And I could continue to go, oh, no, I'm fine. It's okay. I actually have to leave, you know. And I just, I entered in. So I walked forward. Their culture is different than ours. I had to sit on one of the thrones, you know. <laughs> and um, the guy got up and, and he preached. And they preach animated. And there's a lot of, mm-hmm, yeah. I'm white guy with, I was like, I, luckily I had slacks on that day. 
Because they're dressed to the nines, okay? I mean, they're just dressed to the nines. And, and I'm just trying to, you know, not stick out. Have you ever had that feeling? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, so I'm kind of like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I had another guy next to me. And, I mean, it's like they wrote, you know, I don't know. And, and about ten minutes in, it was an interesting service, but Reverend Green, who I'd met before, he leaned over me and he said, would you like to lead the pastoral prayer? And everything in me is like, no! <laughs> but I did. They honored me. I honored them by entering into their culture. I, I quickly scanned their you know, bulletin and, and got some names. I prayed over them as a community. I prayed for our community. They were so, so receiving of me. They honored me. And I attempted to honor them by entering in. I want to encourage you to honor Jesus Christ by engaging in community. As we come to the communion table, we remind ourselves what it cost Jesus Christ to unite us once again in community. We talk about the breaking of bread. And it reminds us that, that Jesus was broken to to address the brokenness in us, the brokenness in our relationship. And, and he, you know, the juice, the wine, it, it reminds us that, that Jesus' blood was spilt for our sins, that we commit against each other. So as Keith and the other servers come, I want to remind you, uh, you know, even how we celebrate communion uh, I don't know if it's awkward for you, but you know, a lot of churches, people just do it individually. And that's okay. I'm not dissing that. I like the fact that most of the time we to celebrate communion in small groups to remember that one of the things that communion reminds us is that through the power of Jesus Christ, we have been united as humanity again, as people who are connected with God, connected with one another, and have a message of hope to our world. So keep that in your mind as you, as you form groups to take communion today, that we're taking it together. Okay? Keith. Thinking of uh, the message, I just want to read the beginning part that Jesus said before he mentions, you know, the body and the blood of, of Christ. Reading in Luke 22, he said, <clears throat> When the hour came... He reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said, I have fervently desired or eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus was looking forward to this gathering with his disciples. And then he took bread, and after he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body for you. And he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul added, As, as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're proclaiming his death until he comes. Um, I want to pray for this, but just a reminder after we disperse and and you have places to serve, this is... It's the Lord's table. It's not Community Covenant Church's table. If you have a love for our Lord, you are welcome at this table. Let's pray and bless this.
God, we do want to enter into your table, your body and blood, and we don't understand all the significance of that, but we do want more of you, and we want to relationally be closer and deeper and richer in that love for you. God, to that end, bless the bread, the cup. Allow us to participate in you for your sake. Amen.